With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this 30th day of November, uh, 2017. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser. And today our guest speaker is Travis Studdard with Perkins and Studdard uh, Law Firm there in Georgia. And they specialize in VA law. And hopefully uh, we're going to get some good information today. But uh, b- before we get into that, uh, wanted to mention this story out here about the liver flukes, uh, people that served in the Asian theaters, uh, uh, Vietnam, and uh, probably Cambodia, and uh, uh, all them countries over there, uh, and uh, Thailand, I think one of them. Uh, if you served there and you, you ate uh, the kind of raw fish or undercooked fish and drank the water, there's a strong possibility you could have liver flukes. And you need to see uh, your primary care physician, uh, whether you go to the VA or outside the VA, and get tested for it because there's tests for it. And... Uh, you sure don't want to end up with liver cancer. There's already been numerous veterans that's passed on due to liver cancer. And uh, they're finally panning it down to this liver fluke. But anyway, we'll we'll get on with the show. And, and uh, if any of you have any questions or comments, please call in. Our number is 347 Two three seven four eight one nine. Now that's number once again is three four seven two three seven four eight one nine. And then if you hit the the one after the lady talks there, it'll put you in the queue here with us. And we'll keep an eye out. We see a new number pop up. We'll we'll. We'll break in and ask you if you have any questions or comment. So how are you doing today, Travis? Well, I'm doing great, Gerald. It's good to be with you. I've listened to your podcast some and uh, excited to 
get to talk with you guys this evening and uh, hopefully spread some good information to everybody else out there as well. Well, that's right. You you did mention uh, that you had some uh, uh, heads up for us, uh, uh, things, new things coming down the the BA pipeline, and uh, hopefully it'll be good news. <laughs> well, well, we'll see. I mean, it's I think the the jury's still out on it at this point. It may be a little bit of a mixed bag, but uh, I think. Um, it, I think there's going to be some good improvements that, that veterans can use if they um, kind of understand this new system. And of course, what we're talking about is this um, Appeals Improvement and Modernization Act that recently went into law. Um, but real quickly, going back just a minute on your comments about the uh, liver flukes uh, for Southeast Asia veterans, I, you know, you were mentioning getting tested, and I was reading up on this. You and I had had a conversation about it, and one of the things I saw about it is how, you know, what a silent disease this can be, and, and essentially until it gets into the late stages of of this bile duct cancer, a lot of times these people that are infected with it really have no symptoms at all. So, uh, and unfortunately at that point, there's not a lot of treatment many times, and um, it can be fatal in, in most cases. So uh, I would just echo what you said in terms of uh, if you, you know, if you were in that theater and, and uh, you know, think you may have been exposed, get get tested. Your doctor can do a uh, some lab work and see if you have these liver fluke antibodies in, in your body that would possibly indicate infection and then in the early stages I think hopefully they can can treat that before it turns turns cancerous because basically it inflames the the bile duct and intestines to the point where eventually it develops cancer and then that's when you start having the symptoms so yeah. um, unfortunately uh, I, think that, I think if they can catch it uh, Travis before it uh, leaves that dormant stage. It can it can lay dormant for I don't know, evidently a long a lot of years. But if they can catch it before it does that, uh, there's a chance. Of course, the earlier they can catch it, the, the more better your odds are. But right. once it hits that uh, breaks out of that dormant stage, uh, then it's uh, I don't know. Uh, anyway, well, you, and you what, need you, to investigate it. <laughs> and you know, and if somebody, and we see it, we all see this so much. I mean, there's so many veterans that are eligible for for some type of benefit or or a dependent of a veteran, and they simply don't even know that there may be something available to them as a result of that person's service. And uh, you know, if this is a pretty rare form of cancer, from what I understand. So if you you know, if you've got a loved one or you know a, a buddy that um, died of this this bile duct cancer, his you know his dependent, his his wife may have a have a DIC claim at that point because again, um, this is just extremely rare in our part of the world. But it's you know I think millions of people in in Asia are affected, so um, you know there's pretty good case to be made of a connection between your Vietnam service and and uh, 
in this cancer. So um, look into that possibility as well. Uh, but so getting to this uh, new appeals legislation, uh, you know, this uh, President Trump signed this into into law. I think I think it was August twenty third of twenty seventeen, and and that's really just the enabling legislation that Congress passed, and um, which means that really what we have at this point is is a framework. Um, kind of the big broad strokes of what this new system for claims and appeals is going to be moving forward. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the, the Department of Veterans Affairs will will make the, the actual rules that, you know, we use the Code of Federal Regulations. That will be all the, the more detailed information that we'll need to see as far as how this will be enacted and how they'll be uh, handling it, and you know, in terms of when all this goes online, I think it's supposed to be in about the 18 months from passage. So that would be, you know, I'm thinking probably end of 2018 they'll be putting this into effect if if they stick to their schedule, which uh, you know, we know how that goes as well. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but it is coming at some point. So I thought it may be a good idea for for everybody to kind of get an overview of, of um, you know, what may be coming with it. And, you know, you were saying is it, hopefully it's good news. I, uh, I I think it is in, in a lot of respects. I mean, certainly something needed to be done. Um, you know, we we all, everybody listening to this knows, knows how the, how broken the system's been for years and years. And uh, there's been a lot of talk over what to do and how to do it uh, in terms of fixing that. But, um you know we finally finally got something and uh i think it's something that we can can work with and and i think the goal was really to get get the claims i mean the appeals backlog to go down rather than than rising which is what it's been doing here um uh, you know in in recent years so um yeah let's hope uh, Travis, we have a, a caller in here. Caller, are you in there? Oh, I sure am, Gerald. I, uh, Travis, uh, oh, it's Berta Simmons yeah. from New York. And hey, uh, I'm glad Gerald got my email about you because I'm very impressed with that uh, very recent decision that you had at the BBA. However, um, I'm not going to go into that at this point. I have a question maybe at the end of the show about it. I think you're talking about H.R. 457. Um, uh-huh. The uh, uh, secretary's office told me I had some input into that. However, Shulkin, um, uh, I have another letter to send him regarding another issue, which I think could uh, uh, help uh, stave off some of the backlog. And uh, I have another question on that for you. Uh, but uh, I'm glad to meet you, and I'm very happy that you uh, are on our show. So uh, I'll keep quiet and let you go on ahead. I've got the BVA award in front of me, and I think it, it, it'll be interesting discussion later on in the show. Okay. Um, well, uh, in terms of this, what they call the Improvement and Modernization Act, uh, it, it's done a, you know, Quite a quite a few things. Uh, it's going to change 
kind of change the landscape and we can I can run through a couple of these and and you guys can jump in and and we can talk about it but first off your your uh you know things that are gone your statement of case we're getting rid of that which we know how long sometimes we wait on those to come to us uh and and one of my uh favorite parts of this I think is is the the form 9 is going away and you know, to me, that's just been a a landmine for so many <clears throat> veterans. After they filed their NOD, they think they've appealed their claim, uh, and, and of course, you have that one year to to appeal it, which, in in my opinion, is is quite a generous time frame given other areas of of law uh, to to have a year to appeal it. However, you know, the problem with the Form Nine is you only have 60 days to to file that after your your statement of case and and I think we've probably all seen folks who call you on day 70 or 62 or what have you and uh have you know you have to tell them the bad news that that their appeal is over with because they didn't file file their what's really their second appeal right I mean you file your NOD and then the form 9 so we're getting rid of of that thank goodness um and uh we also uh, here's some some of the bad news I think is the uh, duty to assist in part will be going away uh, in the appeals phase right now. You know, uh, VA has a duty to assist you throughout the entire process, and and um, I think in Part of part of their goal was to speed up the process, and one way to do that is relieve part of their obligations in this whole whole arena. So they're basically saying we have a duty to assist you on the initial application, but once we issue a decision, we're done. We fulfilled our obligation, and of course that's really problematic when they have a lot of the information that we need, right? I mean they have the records, they have the the file, and uh, so I think some veterans are going to be uh, hurt by that, and there's, uh, I would imagine there'll be some challenges down the road in terms of some some lawyer brighter than me is going to uh, challenge that, and if that affects somebody's constitutional due process rights. But but that's something that is uh, a big well, change that we, that we don't have right now. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, Travis. I think that would be devastating. They don't well, really assess. They ignore that duty to exist. That's why we uh, have so many remands. It's because they didn't fulfill their do- duty to assist. And when uh, a veteran uh, asks for information, uh, they don't always get it because the BA says they can't find it. Right. And you hound them, you hound them, and hound them. Uh, and finally, after it's remanded enough, somebody will cough it up. There it is. It was there all the time. Right. Uh, Carol, uh, sometimes the veterans that can do that themselves. I always say follow the remand if you can. Uh, I don't know how they're going to revisit the VCAA or amend it or do it away with it completely, 
but uh, well, the, the duty to assist is so limited that, Travis, in my opinion, and I've been doing this for 34 years, a lot of it's up to the veteran. They should write to Joint Services Records Research Center themselves. They should get their personnel file as well as their SMRs. I mean, it's amazing how you can do this. And I say this from experience. I had a claim, one claim at the BVA. I'm, I've been a claimant uh, multiple times uh, as the widow of a uh, veteran uh, FDCA 1151 and then two subsequent direct service connected DIC awards. So I got four DIC awards. So they can't take anything away from me because I'm a, a hellraiser with the VA. Uh, however, I told the board that my VCA rights were violated, and I asked them to remand the claim back to, to get it fixed. You, you would not believe the problems I had, even getting my so-called service officer and the director of my state POA to uh, support me. And I was right. I filed quite a complaint against them uh, with the general counsel on this. But mm -hmm. the long run, this is in the long run what happened. It was remanded, but it didn't say anything about the VCA violation. They remanded for an additional medical opinion from a cardio doctor, which I, I went whoop to do over that. I already had three independent medical opinions, and they wanted to get another one to even their score if you catch my drift. Right. And uh, I got a PA opinion. I knocked it down in a heartbeat and sent my rebuttal to the BVA. And uh, within a very short uh, matter of uh, maybe a month and a half, I got a decision from the BVA in the mail, and I threw it on my desk because I figured it was too fast to come. And I had gotten BVA decisions in the past that had nothing to do with it. I had to get in touch with their service officers and tell one guy, hey, your veteran won. And I had to call the DAB and say, hey, your guy lost, but here's what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> but in any event, in the final decision from the BBA, they awarded my claim. They said that I did have a VCAA violation, but I had mitigated the damage of that with evidence. My evidence was overwhelming. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't mention it all in the, um, uh, it's at the board, and I felt that a lot of that evidence would have been very uh, probative to other uh, survivors in similar circumstances, but, uh, but in any event, uh, there's a lot of responsibility uh, we claimants have. I'm a hardcore claimant. I, I found that out years ago when I found out some of these regional officers can barely read, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. But uh, in any event, um, um, I'm going to ask one of my questions. I only uh, have two, um, well, maybe three. Uh, have you ever considered asking them to call a queue on themselves within the appellate period? In other words, I mean like within days or a few weeks after the veteran that you represent has gotten the decision from the RO. Uh, um, no, I, I mean, I haven't done that. Um, okay. Uh, I'm trying to get Secretary Shulkin to issue a fast letter on that. I gave him, uh, 
I've had a lot of experience with it, uh, favorable experience. Two or three veterans have had it, have followed my advice on how to do it. They succeeded, and I've raised, um, uh, I, I wrote a letter to the secretary today and uh, on another issue, but I also reminded him that I did make a good specific argument as to why he should issue that fast letter uh, because fast letter would be a lot easier than amending Title 38. Mm-hmm. And uh, but okay, but thank you for that answer. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I mean I think you certainly could, uh, and it's a good. Well, uh, I've got the proof of the success of it. Uh, he, the secretary has my CPON number. That the White House has it. They checked me out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and there's so much in the CPON. <laughs> I mean. If they, you know, Shulkin, about two weeks ago, and I love Secretary Shulkin. He's the best one we've ever had, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, over the last 34 years. He uh, stated to the press for the first time that he realized the claims process is, in fact, arbitrary. You know, like, duh, you know, like, we all know that, but it's the first time a secretary ever said that, and I thought that was a... Uh, rather gracious of him because, you know, he's still learning 101 VA, you know, I mean, he's right. and a civilian. Uh, but, well, that's all I got to say on that. I could talk well, about that a whole day, though. Yeah, and, and for any, you know, any of the cabinet-level officials, I mean, I think VA secretary has to be one of the most challenging. I mean, it's, you know, oh, our, our second-largest uh, bureaucracy and, and yeah. uh, you know, and I, unfortunately, unlike DOD, which – most, a lot of those have at least some familiarity, and, and uh, yeah, that's not always the case on the VA side of things. So they they have a steep learning curve. I'll give them that. Any of us getting into this do so. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, I, I think he's a good man. I make my prayer group pray for him. <laughs> you know, we all need prayers when it comes to the VA. That's um, that's for sure. Uh, but. Um, but I'll let you get back uh, to your conversation with Gerald. It's very interesting. Uh, yeah, well, no, I, and I think, Bertie, you hit the nail on the head at the be- beginning of those comments that, uh, uh, on the one hand, I think it, the duty to assist can, can help a veteran sometimes with, uh, in terms of what their appeal rights are, uh, but I would caution anybody to sit back and rest on their laurels and wait for the VA to actually comply with the duty to assist. Uh, You know, that's, that's not a recipe for success. And uh, like you said, you've got to hunt this stuff down on occasion. uh, You know, there, there may be things that we simply don't know that they exist and therefore that may trigger something on their, on their part. But, um, yeah, uh, but but again, I agree. If you know there's a record out there, you need to be hunting it and finding it and, right. and submitting it yourself rather than waiting for VA to to do it. Um, you know, and there's a lot of things like Joint Services Records Research Center. They had a guy working there. He was screwing up Thailand Agent Orange veterans claims like a dope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope that they straighten out that fiasco. I hope the veterans that were adversely affected have found out. I mean, this was on, on the Internet. Uh, from a good source, but you know, a lot of veterans, they, a lot of them still don't use the internet. Right. Uh, 
And uh, uh, one of the vets, I, I helped my former POA like a dope while they were screwing my claim up. Uh, he asked me to help a couple of his clients because he didn't know what he was doing. He was he ran the, uh, the vet rep office for the state of New York. <laughs> well, to make a long story short, uh, the VA had told this veteran that his SMRs had been destroyed in the St. Louis fire. <laughs> Just like every that, other veterans, right? Yeah. Well, the funny thing <laughs> is, this veteran did not enlist until after the same was <laughs> Funny how that happens, right? <laughs> yeah, isn't it? And I think that stuff like that happens more than they know. He was Air Force. My daughter's Air Force. Luckily, she's only had one claim with the VA, and they screwed that up. Uh, through uh, VA uh, Educational Department. Uh, they owed her one month and seven years of DEI. They gave her one month. She called me up cursing so much, I thought she joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I filed cue on that, and uh, about four weeks later, she told me she got her proper certificate of entitlement. I wrote mm-hmm. the uh, cue like I was her, you know. Right. And, 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 you know, what gets me, Travis, is that, like, DEA, the regulations for veterans are right there on the form, and she attached a copy of her DD-214, seven years, USF, Force Intel, uh, yet they didn't even, they breathed right over it. I think these errors, uh, sometimes I think they're for spite. <laughs> sometimes I think they're ordered to be stupid. Uh but on the other hand, there's a lot of very good employees at the VA uh, system. Uh, I know a lot of employees that work for VA that are superb. Uh, but I think some of these raiders are just sitting around waiting for their, their FERS uh, retirement and uh, check to kick in with their, uh, you know, their, I forget what they call the contributions from their, uh, from themselves. Right. Uh, and, they're, and what have they got to lose if they make mistakes? Well, and that gets to, I mean, you're right. I I think there's, uh, I think some of it can be perhaps malicious at times. Some of it's incompetence. I think a lot of it as well is just, you know, these folks are, uh, a lot of them do have crushing workloads. I mean, they they need more funding. They need more people there reviewing claims and that sort of thing. And and like any bureaucracy, they're getting work credits for turning out, decisions right right and so right it's, it's not based on you know in private sector we would be looking for accuracy and efficiency and here they're looking to check off that box and move it to the done pile and pick up yeah. the new one and then that's yeah. how they're being evaluated and when that's the case it doesn't you know it doesn't matter if you look at the records or consider the evidence or not you did your job and you when you consider your job to be issue a decision right or wrong and and that's one of the fundamental issues in this whole debacle that's been you know <laughs> evolving for years and years and uh yeah you know i i don't know uh i don't know if if congress really addressed any of that perhaps in in uh, the accountability act hopefully uh some of that uh the other sort of sister legislation uh that that they've done, but, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily see anything in this necessarily no. that's going to address that part of, no. of the problem. Uh, 
but if you do know if you do know um I, I think as it all shakes out we'll kind of see you know where where the the um good people are and and which routes you want to take cuz cuz you're going to have several different uh avenues once you receive your uh ratings decision under this new system of of where you want to go with it um you know in the past we've had our you file your NOD and you can go the the DRO route or what they call the traditional review process uh they have something similar to that still they call it a higher level review um and again that's going to be more senior people they don't I don't think they use the term decision review officer but uh, so that's one way you can go with it. Now, a big difference under this higher level review as compared to the DRO process we currently have is this new system, uh, that would have no new evidence that you're able to submit on your appeal. So, um, which again, you've got three options. So you don't have to take that one, but if you, if you go that route and select that, then you're not going to be able to submit anything additional, which again, that's why I, uh, you know, Jay was talking to me before the show about how I, uh, well, you know, my take on VA law from, from the practitioner standpoint. And I, and I love it in the sense that, you know, the record doesn't close once a case is decided um, as opposed to other areas of law and we can keep adding evidence and, and that's a huge benefit to veterans, but, under that option number one, they won't have that option anymore, so or ability to add evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, now the other, another way a veteran can go if they're dissatisfied with their decision is uh, you can still file an NOD on your on your claim, but like I said, it doesn't sit in the regional office at that point. You're gonna if you file an NOD, you're, that is like your Form 9 in the sense that an NOD sends it to the BVA at that point. So it's I think leaving. that's wonderful. Yeah, and it, can you know, read. Right, you know, they, they can read. They have, a, uh, as a general proposition, a much better uh, understanding of VA law. So uh, <laughs> not that they, you know, nobody gets it perfect, but, but yeah. uh well, you know, Travis, you why don't they just close the regional offices and hire a whole bunch of good lawyers and put them in the BVA and have satellite BVAs all over the country? Because the BVA lawyers are, in my opinion, superb. They do make mistakes. I read BVA decisions every day. Right. They make mistakes here and there, and if they do, there's always a CABC, you know, uh, or filing a motion for a reconsideration or something like that. Right. But in a perfect world, for me, that's the way it would be. <laughs> right. I, I mean, know that sounds ridiculous. What do you think, Gerald? Well, I think uh, I don't like the idea. I like, uh, for instance, I have went through the BA has sent me three different claim folders over uh, just a few years here. Now, 
they've contact, uh, contacted uh, the law firm I'm working with and notified them that uh, because they there was information that they had that wasn't in the last claim folder. So now they're going to have to generate a new claims folder <laughs> that will make four claims folders in a period of 16 years. Boy. Now, if we go this route here with the duty uh, where they don't have to assist and someone runs across that same predicament, uh, they, they've lost out. They don't have a chance because, first of all, the VA sitting on the information and refuses to release it. Um, now, uh, that's the reason I would be against uh, something like that, and especially on the appeals. Once you send the appeal in, it's over and done with. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the BA will come along. Uh, well, they probably won't come along and say, oh, oh. Yeah, because we have this, or you find out that there's additional documents that's been uh, not included in your... Sometimes you don't find out till way down the road that they even exist. Then when you ask for them, it takes you forever to get the VA to call them up. And and so you run into a situation like mine. I know mine might be uh, of the exception, but uh, if it happened to me, I'm sure it's happened to others. Well, right. it does. Uh, uh, I I uh, have to deal with the uh, my regional <coughs> office's uh, MF. The mysterious force <laughs> that removes stuff from my C file until they could yeah. deny my claim, and then they put it back in. And what it was was a peer review report that they did for my FTCA case within three months after regional counsel got it. He called me up and told me he wanted to settle with me right away. The peer review report supported my charges. And then you know what happened? Uh, the regional council disappeared. Uh, actually, they forced him into retirement. I called him at his house to see what happened. The uh, chief director of uh, local VA uh, was fired and then had to sue them to get his job back and decided he'd quit anyhow and take his retirement. Both of these men assured me that that report was in the hands of the VA. I didn't find it until about six years later. It was right at the bottom of my C file. So I used it for my Agent Orange IHD claim. But, uh, I, I, you know, things like this, uh, they disturb me because, to me, someone had a deliberate effort to remove that critical report from my C-file. And at the same time, I had something 12 copies of an autopsy that supported my charges. Uh, and they... They kept denying my claims, never mentioned the autopsy at all. But in any event, uh, I won the FTCA and the 1151. 
uh, and I, I wonder if I'm an isolated case, but none of us are, Gerald. Uh, Travis no. Carroll has had a terrible time uh, with the VA, uh, going through what he went through. Uh, but he never gave up. I don't know where he's at at this point with his his claim, or if he even has a claim pending. Yes, I do. Oh, it's, good. Uh, good. It's on appeal, up. and we're waiting on the VA. They've had uh, uh, three or four extensions, and then this, uh, they come out with, uh, uh, they sent a letter stating that uh, they was going to generate a new claims folder, which would be my fourth one. And uh, But you have a claim uh, pending at the regional office? Oh, no, it's oh. up in oh. Washington there. Oh, so it's a BBA it, at this it, point. It, yeah, oh. it's it's up there. Oh, I, 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 see, I've known you for fifteen years. I, I've, I've been missing out, Gerald. You don't call me every day like you used to. <laughs> well, we used to talk every day. Don't I know. Me. Actually, it's, well, yeah, I think it's headed to the CABC at a zero. Huh? I think you're headed to the court, ain't you? You're you're past yeah. the BBA. You're yeah. going on up, ain't you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm going on up, but uh, chances are it'll be remanded back, I suspect, for I don't know how many times it's been remanded back, but uh, <laughs> the regional offices won't do their job. Well, And, and kind of a deal like both of there where uh, they remove the data you send them, and then after everybody looks at it, somebody sticks it back in. And every time they send a new new claims folder, it's different. <laughs> so I don't know which one is going to be the correct one, but I'm sure I hope someone has to explain to the judge now which one of these models uh, uh, <laughs> is the P under because somewhere, somewhere here, there's something going on. Right. Well, you know, yeah. and what Berta's talking about, I mean, any other area of law, uh, I mean, that's essentially destroying evidence. I mean, maybe it wasn't destroyed. They would say it was misplaced, but... Uh, well, that's you know, that spoliation of the claim. Probably. That would, right. I mean, that's, yeah, exactly. Spoliation of evidence, and it yep. would be... Uh, uh, you know, uh, almost an automatic win or for the party who, you know, for the victim of it. So, um, but well, again, we don't we don't have that, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, they should have because that's a legitimate deal, and uh, there's a lot of claims out there. Uh, I'm sure you've run across some yourself that you know is not complete or something's been tampered with, it's not correct, the data's all wrong, it don't fit the scenario that it should. Right. And right. Uh, that would be a spoliation of the claim and, of, you know, of your, your claim. And uh, that should actually, I would think, uh, way you know, throw the balance of the scale off towards the the veteran and give him the break because they shouldn't be allowed to tamper with with that type of data. 
Right. Well, and even in the situation going back to the to the fire, it, you know, someone who has in fact had their records destroyed uh, and can't prove up their claim the way they need to due to you know an act of God and destruction of their fire, uh, destruction of their records. Uh, you know, they. I mean, again, if if I were the one creating the system, they would get a presumption of whatever statement they submitted, you know, if the, if the VA cannot refute that in the absence of, right. you know, a personnel file, then, you know, the law says we're supposed to deem the veteran to be credible until proven otherwise, yeah. uh, then that claim should be should be granted, even though he can't produce his personnel file that did, did burn up. So. Well, actually, they have an enhanced duty to assist if SMRs and personnel records cannot be uh, found for, you know, through a reasonable search. Mm-hmm. But when they say enhanced duty to us, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it's like it's like trying to get a, a, a remand due to severe illness from the BBA. I used to say, well, that's for World War II vets. Uh, it, you know, they're practically in a coma. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know they're on their last legs. I mean, um, but um, well, I'm sorry, I'm butting in, guys. No, 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 you're fine. No, what, here's one way, Gerald. To and I think this is, you know, as I've been looking at this and which way I want to go with with appeals, the the third lane, as they call it, I think. Um, you know, I talked about the higher level review. Uh, then you've got the NOD that'll kick you up to the BVA level. Uh, the third option, which this is one that I think a lot of people probably will use, and and this is one that, in my reading of it, uh, does still preserve the duty to assist for for whatever that is worth, uh, but uh, is a sup what they call a supplemental claim. You know, in the past we had reopen or presently we have reopened claims, right where. Uh, if a veteran doesn't preserve their appeal rights and get it, their NOD filed in time or their Form 9 in time, then the appeal is over with and they can reopen the claim at that point uh, with new and material evidence. Um, they have done away with that, that name. They now call it a supplemental claim, uh, but a supplemental claim can actually be like an appeal under this new system in the sense that it, it still preserves your effective date. So mm. if you, uh, you know, we, right now you have to have new and material evidence to, to reopen. Uh, and they changed, they tinkered with that a little bit, and now they call it new and relevant evidence. But if you submit new and relevant evidence uh, within your one year of the ratings decision, then, mm. uh, then that's a supplemental claim preserves your effective date and uh now and and Berta you're probably not going to like this part of it it remains okay. at the regional office level so uh for but you know I think it's I I really feel like that's an option that a lot of people are going to going to take at least early on you yeah know, their their goal with this whole thing was let's do a do away with the appeals backlog right so and I think they'll. I think they will achieve that. They're going to take their backlog. 
that they used to have at the regional office and they churned through those and got them to the appeals level. I think it's eventually going to just go back to the regional office level um, because I think a lot of people, you know, again, until we fund this properly and all that, there's going to be claims out there to be decided. So, but, but I do like it because you can still, you can still paper the file, add things to it. And, um, and if it's, you know, if it's a situation where, you just clearly were, you know, missing your nexus letter or you were missing a personnel record or a stressor statement or whatever it may be. You can add that in at that point uh, and and get a new decision, which they're saying, you know, would be 120 days or something like that, which, again, we'll see. But we at least know you're not going to have to wait for your, your statement of case and then you know, you're appeal to be certified to the board and all that sort of yeah. stuff. So it, it could work, Travis. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat excited about it. I mean, I yeah. think it's, it's again, I'll hold total judgment until I see it in effect. But, uh, and again, a lot of these details have to be worked out with the CFR that'll be coming down yeah. the line. But uh, I, I think that's uh, going to be an option that a lot of folks are going to go with now again to your earlier point of if you go to the bva you know it depends on what your case is about if or or why it was denied to begin with if it was you were missing a key piece of evidence then that's a good route to go if it is you know they they say that uh you know uh, you get a decision that says ischemic heart disease is not presumptive, you know, you have to show actual Agent Orange exposure, something crazy like that, uh, and that may be a little bit of an overstatement, but a, an issue of law, then you may want to go on to the BVA at that point. Um, but they've given us, again, three different options. I don't, I really don't know why the higher level review option, where you stay at the agency level, uh, but have no new evidence, to me, that's not a very attractive Option. I, if I, I, I would rather go to the board because at the board, once you get to the board, you actually have three options as well. Uh, in terms of you know, on your form nine now, you have to select if you want a hearing, and then you say if you want a video or in person or travel board. Which, by the way, there won't be any travel board hearings, and I think that will deal with some of the backlog there. Yeah. Um, and and video for most folks works just as well. But um, at the BVA level, you can either have no hearing with no evidence, which obviously is sort of a fast track um, is the intent, or you can have a, a hearing where you submit evidence or a third option would be submitting evidence, but not having a hearing and then I think you have 90 days from the date of your um, NOD to submit that evidence. So, and and I think they're going to try to segment those again. You know, your hearing lane, your evidence only lane, and then your no hearing, no evidence lane. And if you've got a pure legal issue, that no hearing, no evidence lane, you shouldn't have to wait five years to to you know have your claim decided at that point which that is an improvement. There's no, mm. no reason to treat all appeals on the same track 
when right. some of them need more treatment than others do, you know. Um, so, like I said, I, I think there's some good in there. Um, it, if we were creating it, <laughs> we would have – I know we all think we would have come up with something better, I'm sure. But Yeah. Uh, well, it's sort of like what Benjamin Franklin said about the Declaration of Independence. It's not perfect, but it's all we've got. <laughs> you know, and, and by the time expected. Well, I'm wondering, uh, Travis, if they will allow uh, public comment in the Federal Register when they start, ch- you know, changing these uh, regulations and amending Title 38. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, well, I would be surprised if they did not offer public comment, but. Uh, you know, you never know what the VA is going to do. Right. Well, I, uh, you know, I, I, I sure hope so. I mean, I think there's, there's, uh, I mean, a lot that needs to be vetted here, and and, um, you know, they, I think there's a lot of information that all the veterans community could, could put in there. So I'm hoping that. Um, They'll they'll take all that into consideration and allow for everybody to have a you know have a voice in the process at least. Well, maybe uh, you know this fully developed claim process. That's an excellent one. If if a, a veteran goes in with a pretty simple claim and he's got some expert help that understands the VA and and how they operate. But uh, I would suspect a lot of those at the moment are getting turned around to a regular claim process. Right. I have heard of some winning the fully developed claim process. Oh, sure. We've had winners who had it. Yes, we have. Yeah, but on the other hand, uh, we've had FDC claims that did end up, you know, with a long haul. Yeah, out of the yeah. Uh, fully developed claim criteria. You have to keep it very simple, I believe. Uh, don't go in there with a compact, complex uh, claim and expect to to build and pull it off. I don't believe you. You know, if you're just claiming perhaps diabetes and and uh, you were in country in Vietnam. Uh, that should be well. That's a presumptive anyway. But uh, uh, well, well, it should be. But I actually had a denial on my AO IHD death claim uh-huh. right away under Nemer. I'm under Nemer, and I can't. I could hardly believe what it said. Uh, it said that the veterans' service records SMRs do not reveal that he had IHD. When he served in Vietnam, <laughs> I brought a cue on them, and I reminded them they were kids. How many Vietnam in-country veterans actually could have even had the uh, symptoms of ischemic heart disease uh, when they were 19, 20 years old in Vietnam? And uh, and then I threw in a couple other things in my uh, cue on them. Well, they fixed that right away, but. Uh, they could probably even catch that one, right? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I, Travis, I can't believe some of the stuff. I mean, good thing I have a sense of humor. Otherwise, I would have PTSD myself <laughs> right. you know, from the claims process. 
Well, I tell you, they they love the cut and paste function on their computer. Oh, oh uh, indeed. And they love the CMP doctors. They love to Google right away and get the best citation, medical citation, and it can be from a real crappy outfit. But if it supports what they can say to deny the claim in the same exam, they'll use that citation. I've seen them do it, and, you know, and it drives me crazy. But if a veteran sends the VA, uh, you know, a, a citation from, uh, you know, uh, even uh, the National Institute of Medicine or something, or uh, uh, J. Hopkins University or something, the VA will say uh, that they it's just an Internet um, reference and they will not, uh, you know, use that as supporting the veteran's claim. But, but I have one question, Travis, but I want to make a deal with you and John Basser and Gerald uh, because maybe I better ask this question if you can come back and do another show with us sometime. (laughs) Sure, yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's about your Atlanta, Georgia um, PTSD veteran. At the board? Yeah, a a brilliant, brilliant. Fabulous. And, and actually, uh, I'll rattle off the question real quick anyhow. Um, okay. It, it says in March 2013, this was, uh, it was remanded, and this was from the actual uh, BBA decision. In March 2013, the veteran underwent a VA examination, wherein the examiner noted that the veteran participated in combat activity, but said that the veteran did not meet the DSM-5 criteria for PTSD. The examiner diagnosed mood disorder not otherwise specified, which obviously put that veteran into the crapper because there's no mood disorder in DSM. I, we have a similar situation at, uh, at our website. I had, that, that has not come back for a while, but I think he was there yesterday. It was similar. They denied his PTSD claim, and I think he was a medic in Vietnam. I mean, to me, he had to have PTSD. But they denied it because they, he did not fulfill the DSM criteria in five. But, of course, as you know, you don't have to fill the whole thing. And right. I think the examiner, when I read the CMP exam, the examiner led him questions which led to answers that the examiner used against him. Now, in, part of me agrees that he did not fulfill that criteria. On the other hand, part of me says uh, he should have gotten a PTSD award by now, which he hasn't yet. But my question was, it's an assumption, I may be wrong. I assume the board accepted the opinion he had from a private psychologist, and this claim was filed after July 2010 PTSD regulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, which depend on the PTSD diagnosis from the VA. I assume the BVA accepted the private opinion because in the award you got, it seemed like the 2006 VA opinion was a redo by the same examiner who did not find evidence of PTSD in the first exam. Does that make any sense to you, or should we leave that for another show? Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I, I'm always happy to talk about uh, 
PTSD claims it opens up a whole can of worms but uh yeah uh but no I, you're exactly right i mean i if it's the uh in that case uh we did we got a private um, medical opinion psychological opinion and uh and i think the key in that one was uh how thorough and how thorough the exam was. We had them run through an entire battery of testing, the full, Good. full gamut then, of, yep. of psychological tests, and uh, and then just contrast that with the, it, you know, when you when you do or when the the examiner does it the way that it's supposed to be done according to their board certification, you know, in psychiatry or or if they're a psychologist, you know, they're they're regulating bodies outside of VA, but within their own profession, these CNPs can't stand up to it. And, uh, and that was, no. I think the case here, uh, you know, I mean, this, this particular individual, uh, had, you know, very traumatic events and, and clear stressors in country. And, uh, and actually, um, I think, is that the one they, they ended up finding that the, that the uh they diagnosed originally with the mood disorder um presenting as depression and i think that actually ended up being rolled into or secondary to the ptsd so because that was another yeah. issue we had to deal with there was uh oh he has this other diagnosis well doc wouldn't that be secondary to <laughs> the ptsd that yeah. he had so, yeah that was uh, in the uh, uh i've got it in front of me the order was service connection for a psychiatric disability to include PTSD, a major depressive disorder, is granted. Uh, they they did the uh, the private opinion uh, did it far better than uh, the VA could, in my opinion, could ever do. Right. The problem is, and we only, there were only about six or eight hundred uh, veterans and and lawyers and people like me who who fought over that 2010 regulation because the VA's point was if you don't get a PTSD diagnosis from an NH professional you're you're you know you might as well you know you, your claim is shot down the road you know uh, right. but of course that opens the door for any uh, type of mental health disability disorder there's numerous court cases on that but in some cases um, I think a, a, a private opinion would be well worth the money for a lot of these PTSD vets that are the, the VA is you know really jerking around, and I'm sure I recommended it to the vet it had it to do that. But I, but still there were a few things there that that you know sometimes these vets they're not prepared for the C and P exam. Well, it is stressful enough to go to one on top of having a stress disorder. Exactly. You know, uh, and sometimes well, and they'll say all these things about their childhood or this and that, and, oh, you know, and gosh, you know, and uh, and, and and a lot of times service officers do not prepare them. Uh, uh, I, I should, I want to say no one should ever lie at a P, uh, PTSD exam or any CMP exam. But they have to be wary of the pitfalls 
that that exam could bring if they're not careful. They've got to focus on their stressor. Right. You Were know, you on that call I had with my client yesterday? This is the exact conversation I had before his <laughs> in preparing him for his CMP exam. No kidding. Uh, no kidding. And and just you know that that uh, you know they go in there and and either one of two things: take it at totally face value that this doctor is here to you know assist me with my claim and find out what's really going on with me, um, or others are are so uh, distrustful of the whole process that uh that they don't open up enough to, to reveal anything to the to the examiner so um both of those are are problematic but um but yeah i mean it's hard in a ptsd situation i mean to like you say they may start talking about other unrelated uh non service-related difficulties in their life, but yeah. but it all, you know, you can't compartmentalize this stuff. One thing, sure, he's more depressed now because he's going through a divorce, but guess why he's getting divorced? Right. Right? Right. It's because he has outbursts of anger. He has poor judgment, and those are all direct results of his PTSD. So, yeah. you know, it's, oh, it's, a, it, it's a vicious it, cycle. We're totally out of time here. Oh, no. So I think it's it's through recording. Uh, can you come back on, Travis? Sure, I'd be glad to. I've enjoyed it uh, talking with we'll, you guys. Uh, let's see. We'll have to set up a date and time, and I'll get with you. Uh, uh, usually we have our shows at, on Thursdays. It seems to work out good. But uh, and we can we can uh, complete this. Okay, and, sounds good. Uh, it might be a couple of weeks, but we'll get you back on here. And all right, uh, Berta, I thank you for calling in. Oh, that's okay, Carol. By golly, uh, you give us a lot of good information there. Well, unfortunately, uh, it's from a lot of the. Well, from a lot of misery. Yeah, well, I'm a hardcore claimant. (laughs) And uh, my husband's death taught me a lot. Well, Uh, you know. You know, a wrongful death, I mean. (laughs) And that's another thing, too. We could talk about Area 1151, not Area 51. (laughs) Area 1151. But uh, Uh, That's another problem there that the latest news, you know, Shulkin was asked. Uh, yesterday on Fox News about these new reports coming out of GAO. I told Jeff Miller about this crap years ago uh, uh, when no. he was chairman of HVAC. And Shulkin very skillfully avoided that new scandal. <laughs> but he did talk about some other things, too. And I mentioned that in the letter to him, that although he did avoid Steve Ducey's questions on Fox News, there was a big banner at the bottom of the TV of the latest scandal uh, of uh, how VA is not properly um, reporting malpracticing doctors to the NPDB. Uh, and, um, well, that's you know, another show and a half right there. Yeah, that's... Uh, uh, I'm going to let you guys go because it's almost my bedtime. Travis, okay. it was nice meeting you. And John, well, John, how are you? <laughs> 
John Bassard. Okay. Oh, good. Oh, good. Uh, and I'll let you guys go, Gerald. Thanks a lot. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, thank, thank you, you all of you, and uh, glad to be a part of this. Glad well, to uh, we'll have you back on and continue this. This hour goes quick, and we might do an hour and a half. <laughs> we did a two-hour yeah, schedule. Time. I'll schedule. Yeah, yeah. I'll schedule for a two-hour show. Matter of fact, I'm going to the doctor next week. We're going to do it then. <laughs> well, uh, sometimes I feel like it's been ten hours. But uh, anyway, thanks for uh, coming on, and uh, I don't guess it's doing good. Sign off. Nobody's going to hear us. So no, it will shut her down. We'll just shut her down. We talk till we <laughs> run out of gas. Okay, we'll talk to y'all later and have a good night for the rest of it and have a great weekend. All right, same to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.